Welcome to the Console Monster Podcast. Hi, this is James Woodcock and I am with Toby Allen, assistant producer from Sumo Digital, who is here to talk about Virtua Tennis 3. Welcome to the show, Toby. Hi, James. How are you doing, mate? Very well, thanks. How about yourself? <laughs> Not too bad. It's a pleasure to be uh, on the show. Right, before I start, I have to say that I was more than just a little worried after playing Sonic the Hedgehog on the Xbox 360, which I should point out wasn't developed by Sumo Digital. When I heard that Virtua Tennis, one of the best sports games ever released, was going to appear on the Xbox 360, all updated and with new features. So thankfully the game has met my expectations, so first of all, congratulations on that. <laughs> thank you. It's Well, you know, it's, it's been a collaborative effort. So it's uh, You should thank the whole team, really. <laughs> well, yes, thank you, Sumo Digital, indeed. So first of all, are you glad you didn't develop Sonic for the Xbox 360? <laughs> Um, well, you know, we're, we're, we're big Sega fans. Uh, we, we're pleased to see Sonic on uh, the 360. I'm sure, you know, we can we can await and see some uh, some better things to come. Really, that's a very diplomatic answer, sir. So we'll go to question two. Who are Sumo Digital? Sumo is a company uh, that's based in Sheffield. We were started in about 2003, um, and now we're uh, supporting about 100 plus uh, developers. Really. Now, we were basically, the origins was an amalgamation of people from Infograms and Gremlin Interactive. And with, with the history that, and the talent that we had then, uh, we basically created Sumo, in which a lot of our new games have been through Sega and uh, recently with a close partnership with Sony. So we have a lot of uh, recent titles such as Outrun, Outrun 2 Coast to Coast, uh, we have the Toka series, that's on PSP. And obviously we have Virtual Tennis uh, World Tour on PSP. Uh, Broken Sword on PC. Ah, oh, Broken Sword. <laughs> well, we just made Broken Sword 4, uh, Angel of Death, um, which has been very popular on PC. Uh, and obviously we have Ghost Sudoku uh, 2 for EDI, uh, PS3, and the original uh, PSP version. And we, of course, have Super Rubber Dub for PS3 EDI. Which has, is just a recent title, and of course our big, you know, Virtua Tennis Three, which is on Xbox Three Sixty, PSP, and PC. So, what experience do you have personally within gaming? Well, um, I'm a gamer. First off, uh, that's always a good start. <laughs> uh, you'd have to try that. Um, I started off basically in uh, in Mac development, actually, which is kind of weird. And I used to be on your side, being a journalist. And then I worked my way through to becoming a developer on Mac, switched to PC, and now I guess I'm doing consoles, which is kind of cool. I've started off with old uh, Commodore, uh, which was my brother's. I had the Game Boy, which I absolutely loved. Yeah, I had the Super Nintendo, the Xbox, PS2, loads, you know. So uh, a really good mix of systems there. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I'm a great fan of of what's been happening with the latest consoles too. I'm I'm about to get my Wii. Uh, I've got a 360. Avid fan of that, and gonna wait a bit more on the PS3. But we'll see how that comes along. So, why waiting on the PS3 price or a number of titles released for it? Um, yeah, I think it's mainly to do with price for the moment. In conjunction with the amount of titles, I mean, there's nothing. There's Virtual Tennis 3, but I've already got an Xbox, so it's only costing me the game. I've there's not that many great games that will make me buy the console that's at such a high price basically. So do you get a lot of enjoyment out of playing a game that your company you're involved with have actually helped develop? Um, yeah, it's actually quite strange because you get 
you get to play the game. Well, you get to develop the game for for ages. You know, I spent specifically about eight months working on this, and you kind of get really fed up with it, and you just think this game's so boring, and you've seen everything. You sit back a while, even you know, a short period like two weeks, come back to it, get your mates around uh, the table and show it off, and you just feel so so buzzed and excited about it. And you just think, wow, this is you know, you you sort of half forget you developed it, and and you think, yeah, this is awesome. That's good to hear. <laughs> Because I know quite a few game testers, and because uh, they're having to search for the same bug over and over and over, and then they don't bother with the final game because of it. So it's good to hear that the developers are still in the loop. Oh no, we, I mean we play it quite a bit at the office, uh, just casual friends, you know. And then with the with the ability of what we've developed in it, uh, being Xbox Live, we really had a lot of fun. Just you know, allowing to see our friends and stuff like that. I went down to Sega got a new friend on Xbox, we've been playing it, stuff like that, you know. So, what is it like developing for a next-generation console system, of course, specifically Xbox 360 and PS3, sorry, Wii fans, but, you know, PS3 and Xbox 360 are going to be more complex to create for. Would that be a rise assessment from me, for starters? And is it really a lot harder? There's more demands on you. Uh, yeah, I think there's, there's more demands sort of all over. I mean, you know, it, it is a dramatic change from from your typical either PC or sort of current gen console in the sense that not only because of the requirements from the platform in terms of what needs to be delivered uh, specifically for the gamer, you know, what they expect and things like that you have to put the manpower behind it in order to really get the power, the excitement all the things that are required for this to be, you know, just even a basic next gen console now you have to compare yourself also to what is seen out there and top the top next gen console and you think you know that's the kind of level they have to strive for if not setting a new bar with your game and for that you need a hell of a lot of uh, manpower you need a bigger team which then increases the budget you need the support from your publisher but also you know we need to develop specific technologies in terms of physics ai networking and you really have to push yourself to do it i mean we we have to, you know, if a publisher comes to us and, and says we'd like this game in, you know, in this amount of time, we really have to analyse if it's actually possible because of these requirements. So yeah, there, there's quite a, a lot of requirements and sort of needs that need to be met in order to develop a high-quality next-gen title. So between, I don't suppose it is current-gen anymore, last-gen I suppose we'll have to say now, and maybe now Xbox 360 and PS3 should be classed current-gen, but what is the main difference between the two? Which is the most difficult aspect of the transition from one to the other? Well, visually you have all the HD support. You know, you're going from sort of normal components to sort of no loss of data, HD, HDMI type stuff, and you you have to support that, and it's a similar problem from sort of going, you know, in terms of movies, from going from DV or sort of normal movie quality to, to high def, is that you notice everything. You notice all the small glitches. You notice all the small uh, things. And you can notice on a high, you know, on a big screen, uh, high def HD screen, really, the, that the lighting is completely wrong. But then you have to also accommodate, you know, normal standard screens also. There's that side of things, just gra- just visually. There's more in terms of your capabilities, what you can do, and what is obviously expected. You know, people, gamers will expect to see a high level of AI, high level of physics, you know, more calculations, more capabilities, and more opportunities for the player to develop something new and to, to really enjoy and benefit from this current generation. 
So how do the development tools differ? Uh, this has been mentioned a lot on the internet, but from your perspective and probably your companies that you're involved with perspective, how does the Xbox 360 versus the PS3 development tools fare? And in, to some certain extent, the Nintendo Wii as well. Um, well, I think it mainly comes into their development pipeline. You know, uh, Microsoft has the ability to create a platform that is very tied into uh, the operating system Windows. I mean, there's a lot of support because of that. So you get a high high level quality tools. Whereas, you know, PS3, you know, you also get the tools, but they're just uh, in, in addition to the development kit, really. But, they're you know, they're coming along very well. And I think that's where you get a lot of support, whereas uh, with Nintendo you additionally get, you know, emulators on for the PC and things like that that just provide you with support. I mean, I think it is tool-wise in terms of uh, what is given to us, we always like to see more. We always like to see things that, that would make our job easier in that sense. Uh, but obviously a lot of the work still <laughs> remains on our side in order to uh, not only develop adequate pipelines and adequate processes for us to work with these tools but mainly to develop an, an engine and a game that can be efficiently developed to incorporate all the next gen requirements yeah, it must be incredibly difficult for one to be working for a single system exclusively but to have to go multi-platform which is something that seems to be much more common in this generation to make sure it's running optimally on say the PS3 and on the Xbox 360 when the hardware is actually quite a bit different well the hardware is quite. I mean, the hardware is different in terms of you know the how it works and things like that. But you still have a core mechanic that will always that can transcend in, in both both platforms. And the way production works is usually that you have ninety five percent concentrated on one lead platform, and then five percent uh, will be to to be spread out across the rest of the platforms. Now, obviously, this causes a bit of a an issue when you sort of develop for PS three, Xbox, and you go down to Wii because then you're talking about completely different control system, uh, sort of low res uh, graphics and things like that. So you have to accommodate that. And it, to a certain extent, there's some commonality, but there's also a sort of standalone effect in which you really have to uh, separate out certain areas of, of your development pipeline. Due to the cost, which you've already mentioned, do you ever yeah. get tempted to think, well, not worry so much about the big consoles. We'll concentrate more on things like the PSP, the Wii, or maybe even like Xbox Live Arcade titles. Is there ever the temptation to sort of go in that direction a little as well? Oh, definitely. And I think you can see, you can already see that with uh, Sumo's uh, games that we've already developed. You know, we've we brought sort of uh, Ghost Sudoku from the PSP over to the EDI titles on, on PS3 with Ghost Sudoku 2. Uh, we also developed some, you know, pretty new stuff with Super Rubber Dub, which makes use of the successors controller and really sort of uh, takes that, uh, embraces what the PS3 has to give, and we use that to develop and expand on our design, expand on our sort of uh, creative output, and the result is Super Rubber Dub, really. So what is Super Rubber Dub, just to go off slightly to tangent here? Um, well, Super Rubber Dub is uh, a sort of uh, flow-based game in which you control uh, the water and the sort of the mechanics of that in order to to control your your little duck and that duck collects the little ducklings and you have to de- you have to uh, avoid sharks and you have whirlpools and you have the water will pull you in certain directions and you have little puzzles to solve as to how you, you collect all the ducks within time frame and things like that 
So have you played any of the earlier Virtua Tennis Classics? Yeah, I've played them since uh, the the Dreamcast, really. Um, and you know, the game was getting a lot of hype. But I remember thinking, you know, this is this is just tennis. So I picked it up on the off chance of, you know, all the reviews were right. And uh, yeah, absolutely solid. And uh, played it until I finished it, really. So t- you have this sort of really gripping gameplay, which uh, still transcends today. So how does Virtua Tennis Three differ from earlier titles in the series, and indeed the arcade version? The main difference, which everybody will obviously see, will be the graphical improvements. And you can see this through the, the, the characters, the, the way the game is rendered in terms of the skin, the lighting, the sort of effects that you, the, the effects that you see while in game. That will be the obvious difference. I mean, obviously there have been slight tweaks to the gameplay, but the core mechanic of the fun uh, sort of tennis bit is really uh, something that has continued throughout the, throughout the versions. Now you get the obviously in uh, VT3 you get sort of you know a bit more expansion within the game such as custom characters with all the various gear and attributes that you can mo- you can modify you know which is something that embraces obviously next gen capabilities. So 1080p, what is all the fuss about 1080p? Oh man, um, <laughs> 1080p is I mean if you look at the responses online it just goes into an argument that you know, just lasts ages because there's such a, a big fuss about it. And in essence, the the thing with 1080p is that it, it's a purely quality issue. And we saw that, that the PS3 version was going to give 1080p resolution. And obviously we wanted to do the same towards to provide the Xbox players with such quality. Uh, and for this, we were required to work with Microsoft so that we could make sure that we could run our game at 1080p rather than upscaling it really from uh, 720p, which wouldn't have provided the gamers with the quality they require. So 360, I mean, absolutely powerful, you know, very powerful console in terms of what it can do. And we were, through our development, we added 1080p quite smoothly. We're sort of foreseen anti-aliasing. We sort of optimized the code so that it ran at 60 frames a second all the time. Um, And I think the trade-off you can see is that, you know, it's a beautiful game and you didn't have to, to, to worry about too much about what kind of resolution you're playing in, you know, whether it's 1080p or 1080i or 720p. At the end of the day, it's, it's going to look good, uh, and that's the options that we wanted to give players. Can you see other games that you create for the Xbox 360 incorporating 1080p, or is it something more of a niche that only certain games will be able to make the most of? Um, I think it's going to basically be our standard for just a quality bar, really. Uh, we want to provide gamers with the best kind of quality game that they can experience. And 1080p is essentially uh, a requirement at this stage. For Well, a specifically a requirement for the people that have HD screens. Obviously, if you're on a normal uh, standard screen, you won't see the difference. But, you know, this is just what we what we want to provide to uh, to the gamers, really. It's still quite forward-thinking, though, really, isn't it? Because even if you've got high definition, to get a high-definition screen that actually supports 1080p as well, it's a real premium price at the moment. It is, yeah. And, uh, you know, I would say that most students don't have two grand to spend on a new, you know, a, a brand-new HDTV which has 1080p. So I think there's, there's a sort of a, a leeway in which we can really accommodate normal resolutions and sort of the maximum resolutions that you can get. Um, in terms of our experience, we we can do 1080p, 
So there's absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be able to do it for any other game. So it's only a question of what you, what uh, we want to provide for the players, and that's the best quality experience that we can give them. And I suppose when they do get a 1080p screen, they can play the game from scratch and think, wow, this is quite different. Exactly. So why does the Xbox 360 have online multiplayer, yet the Sony PlayStation 3 doesn't? Ah, um, well, this is more questions that you'd have to check with Area 3, the developing the developing studio of Virtual Tennis 3, really. Um, if they, if I had to guess, really, it'd be more that the net, the Sony sort of Sony network platform wasn't as mature as Xbox Live one was, and certainly possibly not at the state at which the game would be released in. Therefore, it's a, it's I think a, a decision on AM3's part to sort of uh, not go ahead with that. But obviously, you'd have to check that with them. Whereas Xbox Live has been around uh, for quite a while on our side in terms of the 360 development, and this is something that you know we were able to utilize to to make the game given that extra feature really. I'm sure we're all glad that you did because online is such a major factor, especially for anyone who owns the Xbox 360. Playing a tennis game without it is quite upsetting. As is the 1080p, I think online, and specifically making use of all the online uh, Xbox Live features, is a requirement for for modern games. And it's just something that people expect now, and it feels odd without it. So you work specifically on the Xbox 360 port of the game. So how does it come to you? Do you have a selection of graphical assets? Have you got an, a build to sort of go from and modify? How's it all work? Um, well, I mean, the origins of the development started off from the conversion of the arcade machine. Um, and from then on, AIM3 was developing their PS3 version on, on their side. So it was a cross-development on that side. And as uh, AM3 hit every stage of their development, we got updates and given assets. Um, we were sort of uh, given the latest tools and things like that and the latest support in terms of what had changed and what had been improved, what's the latest sort of developments. And from then on, we sort of work with that. Um, so you can you can imagine essentially the PS3 leading the development in terms of what they want to do because that's the, that's the development of Virtual Tennis 3. Whereas we're you know slightly behind in schedule, which is totally planned, so that we can accommodate for any cha- any of their major changes, uh, we can make sure that the code that we receive and the asset that we receive is mature uh, and stable, and we can then incorporate that into the 360 version, the PSP, and the PC version, and obviously guarantee a high quality uh, game at the end of the day. So in the final versions of the PS3 and Xbox 360, mm-hmm. is there any minor or major differences that a user may be able to spot? Between PS3 and Xbox, obviously you'll find the Xbox Live side of things uh, and all the online side of things, which is, I guess is a given. Um, in terms of quality and resolutions, well, both support 1080p. Frame rate, absolutely no, no difference in terms of the overall game, there won't really be a difference. Uh, you might notice a few tweaks here and there, but nothing that is, is a major change because that's that's part of our job is to take the PS3 uh, version of the game and bring it to the different platforms. In terms of you know PS3 to, to PSP, obviously there's going to be quite some changes because you're talking about sort of a next-gen high-def platform to a portable console platform, which is quite different. So you can imagine that the technical challenges involved required us to make some cutbacks or some tweaks and uh, some changes here and there, really. That doesn't uh, detract it from the fact that we still kept the game the same. 
So for anyone who hasn't played Virtua Tennis, shame on you if anyone hasn't. What is involved with the single-player experience? Well, the first off, um, the single-player experience is really sort of based on, on a few areas. You have the World Tour mode, you have the Exhibition and Tournament mode. Uh, and those those two last ones, Exhibition and Tournament mode, are really sort of the arcade modes. And this is what uh, a lot of people will have already played. It's very much a pick-and-per-play option. An exhibition is, you know, the quick, uh, rapid game. Tournament is obviously a tournament and a series of games. Now, obviously, that would be sort of, you know, your sort of everyday practice. Uh, whereas the World Tour mode is really the single exp- the single player experience that will develop um, a custom character, male or female, into something that is really a tennis player, and you sort of get the full tennis experience by going through tennis academy. Uh, where you learn all the tricks, the shots, the techniques. Then you'd get uh, a mail from your coach saying, yeah, you've done really well on this. Here's some new gear. So you can go back to your home, check out your new gear. You can choose to wear it, customize your player. And at the same time, you then move on through the through the year, through your calendar. And you might have a tournament that crops up. That's your rank. So you play your rank try and beat the tournament if you win you your rank increases so you then you go you go back to the academy learn maybe a, new, a few new things and then you can incorporate those new techniques into uh, what AM3 have developed as the mini games which means that basically you have various mini games that allow you to really emphasize certain areas of your of your player's capabilities so you might have one which is uh, avalanche where you'd be running after fruit and collecting fruit in order to uh, increase your footwork and then your stats increase your your play, uh, your custom player becomes better really sort of uh, develops that that side of things um and all these mini games really help to sort of uh, add a bit more fun to sort of maybe mundane techniques or activities that you wouldn't want to do in sort of real life. Once your stats have increased and you can take on another tournament or increase your level, you sort of uh, work your way up to to be number one, and that's the real challenge, really. And it's all very dependent on that you have to watch your stamina as well, because if you get too tired, you'll mm-hmm. be prone to all sorts of things like injuries. Yep, there's that also. You know, you can't. You have to look after yourself, um, and you get sort of the the players after after certain games. You get players that will come up and talk to you just to give you a few hints, uh, a bit of conversation. Really, you can sort of develop friendships with them. You know, that's the real sort of developments that have happened with this single player mode. And the real exciting thing is, you can even unlock a frying pan to use as a tennis racket. And how good is that? Yeah, I mean, we we would, when we were developing it, we uh, we obviously had all the assets, but we'd never seen them really in game, and a lot of the time we sort of wondered what it looked like or how it would play, like with um, we, I mean, we'd seen, I think there's a guitar, there's um, a ping pong racket, there's loads of weird and wonderful things, you know, there's over five hundred different items in in the game. Um, and that creates a lot of variety. Um, so you have that ability to really customize your player, have a bit of cheeky fun, as I would say, on sort of on the side of things. And yeah, it's just you know a great load, of, a big blast. Yeah. The trouble is, I've unlocked the frying pan, and it doesn't <laughs> tell you how good it is because each racket has its own attributes of power and such. But it doesn't yeah. tell you for these extra hidden items. Yep, well, that's, I think, uh, on one side, you'd have to question that uh, with AM3, really. Oh, come on, you must know something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Now, that would be telling. 
spoil spot. Oh well, moving on. So how can you best use the mini games? Should you find the easiest one in that scale area, for example, footwork, and stick with that one, or are you more forced to spread out with all the footwork mini games? Um, well, you're not forced to do any of them. Um, d- by doing them, though, you are developing your character, and you d- you are developing the various areas, and sort of it is. Uh, up to you to to choose any of the games that you want, and there's such a variety that they should accommodate everybody's styles and and sort of uh, tastes. Um, I think where you might uh, have some preference is is just over the, the the ones that you enjoy the most, and that will obviously develop a certain area. But you will quickly notice when one area is maxed out and you're suffering because you've done uh, too much sort of uh, forehand work and you haven't done enough backhand work. And, you you know, if you take your game online and start playing against other people, you'll realize how much you suffer. So you'll be sort of... There is an incentive to really develop your character and to really make use of the minigames in order just to have fun, uh, just to see if you can unlock the achievements. Um, you know, there's that kind of uh, element to it. So it's it's really up to you. Uh, but I think the sort of gameplay entices you to to use all of them and to really develop your skills. And the achievements which you brought up are really well <laughs> spread out, aren't they? These thirty, twenty, and ten point ones, and yep. you feel all the time. Well, I do anyway. That's uh, you get an achievement one day into the game, two days, three days, four days, week, two weeks, and it does seem well spread out. So, who made the decision of I want this achievement and it's going to do this? Um, well, I think the achievements and the, the sort of uh, thinking behind it was that we really wanted to uh, reward the player for actually playing the game rather than just doing some sort of uh, silly amount of, of work for something and you'd get an achievement, which detracts from actually playing the game. So here we really sort of emphasize playing the game, which is why you'll get a few achievements for doing 500 shots here, uh, you know, uh, walking a certain amount of distance, that kind of thing. Um, obviously, there's a few tricky ones, such as unlocking level six in the mini games, and that again sort of rewards the hardcore players or the players that have put in the effort um, into playing, into developing that area and sort of really contributing to the game. So there's a lot of reward that we wanted to give uh, the player in terms of actually continuing uh, with their progress and developing all the areas really as a tennis player yes if only you had the developer achievement if you beat a developer get five points or something (laughs) yes well you know we'll we'll have to have a rematch about (laughs) so i had to mention that i mean come on (laughs) so which is your favorite mini game um i think there's either drum topple or feeding time drum topple because just it's it's a bit of silly fun where uh, you get to smash a few things, really. Um, but feeling time, just by sort of its sheer craziness, uh, and it's <laughs> you know when we first saw that game, we were wondering what what was going on and what is this. But it's yeah, it's just a bit of fun, really. You see, you know, little crocodiles uh, doing their little thing, and yeah, it's great, great laugh. So Virtual Tennis 3 also has a spectator mode to watch live online matches and even previous matches you may have played and your friends have mm-hmm. played. So how do you see this being used by gamers? Ah, well, you, you mentioned that you're talking about um, VTTV, which is essentially one of the features that we brought into live uh, that we couldn't bring in to Virtual Tennis 3 on World Tour. And of course, I should mention before going any further, this is not available on the PS3 version. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, the... 
the uh, VTTV is an element of the game that allows you to really spectate the the various areas of the game. So you have the latest highlights. You can just watch what has happened. Uh, you can watch the sort of the top players um, in the All Star mode, and obviously you can watch a live game uh, as it develops and as it unfolds. And the reason why is mainly there's a great joy in watching uh, tennis. You know, and every year when you when you get all the tennis uh, the tennis buzz sort of happens. You know, you're, you're sort of the TV sets is is always covered with tennis, and you're practically forced to watch it these days. Whereas this is also that gives the ability and choice to to the gamers to really see their friends and see how they play, see the latest shots, any sort of sneaky tricks you might have pulled on them, uh, which characters you're using, your best score. Uh, there's a load of things that you can really enjoy from from watching these games. Now, obviously, we have the various camera modes, so you can see sort of the different angles, and you can really sort of essentially learn a bit more about uh, the game and how other players uh, use their techniques and use the custom characters or the normal characters that you uh, you can use in the game. So there's, I think, there's there's quite a lot of fun in that. I think it's really coming out, especially when you can go on your your friend's gamer card, know that he's played uh, virtual tennis from watching what it said on on the gamer card, and just say, okay, what's what's his last game? Just check out the last ten uh, ten minutes of his game and really see if he's uh, you know if he's been crap or if he's been good. So we've just been talking about the spectator mode in Virtual Tennis 3, but what Xbox Live modes are included with actual match play in mind? Well, what we've done is that we have essentially the ranked mode, which will give you just normal uh, games, whether that's single, doubles, uh, mixed doubles, uh, using a custom character or not. Uh, you can play on a ranked game using Xbox Live, using True Skill, and in which you'll be entered in the worldwide leaderboards, basically. So, but, however, if you want to have really sort of a more casual game, you can have uh, the friendlies game, which is just everybody can play just uh, against anyone. There's no ranking, there's no nothing, so it's, actually, it's completely sort of open and free. However, we also have the ability to create tournaments, so you can create your own eight-player tournaments, have all your friends join in, have other people uh, that you've never played against join in, um, and obviously you can do mixed doubles, doubles, and things like that, really. So for doubles, crucially, is it a bit like Topspin, where you have to be both on one console and the other two on another console? Um, no, you can. I mean, you can do it all kinds of ways, and this is the abilities that we were able to sort of really expand on through Xbox Live. Is the ability to either have yourself as a guest. Now, obviously, as a guest, you wouldn't be able to play on Xbox Live ranked matches, as only an Xbox one uh, user can do that. But obviously, if you had two of you. Both Xbox Live users, uh, sorry, gold members, I should specify really, and you can play ranked matches. Uh, you'll be able, you'll be able to both join in and play together. Whereas if you had a guest, you'd have to play uh, friendly games. Now, there's no restrictions as to what you want, what you can do, in terms of who you have playing, whether that's uh, your mates at home or whether that's mates all connected through Xbox Live. So, have you ever played Topspin, and how would you compare the two games yourself? <laughs> well, to be honest, I, I've always been a, a, a virtual tennis fan, so I, I kind of stay away from Topspin. Um, I know our designers look at it, and we sort of we we know about it. We we most of us have all played it. It's more a question of concentrating on making virtual tennis three the best game there is. So the key question: Will there be any downloadable content in the future? 
Ah, yes. Well, this wasn't exactly built in mind from the AM3 side of things, who are the Sega uh, development studio on VT3. It's mainly that the because the PlayStation 3 version did not uh, feature an online aspect of it, uh, VT3 wasn't really built up for that. However, we know that is this is a request that has really been sort of demanded. The, you can expect the sort of normal... Xbox Live content in terms of trailers, which you can already see the TV ad and the VT introduction. There might be a few things coming down the line, but just have to wait and see, really. Ah, so I may as well get my request in now then for a cricket bat racket. <laughs> um, well, you, to be fair, you know, with the 500 items throughout the game, you, I'm sure there's enough to keep you entertained. Ah, okay. <laughs> Is that a no then? <laughs> Uh, that's that's you'll have to see. Uh, fly swatter, that'd be good. I could go on forever. <laughs> so, how about a possible patch to address such issues as the vibration setting being constantly turned off when you restart the game? Um, well, we've been looking closely at the feedback from uh, the fans playing and all other things that are really sort of nagging the players, really. So, we're just looking at that for the moment and. Um, yeah, we you know we we all sort of considering various options to fix things. Just how we might process about it in the future, what changes we might bring on any future version or whatever. So, uh, yeah, we're just looking at it for the moment. We'll you know we'll have to wait and see. Talk to Sega a bit about whether or not a patch can be done. So, diplomatic answer then would be maybe. Well, I'll, I'll leave that up to you if you want. <laughs> All right, then I'll leave the interpretation up to the listeners then in that case. So were there any game ideas that didn't make it into the final version? I think, uh, yeah, there, there's a few. One which I think we'll mention is is really the sort of developer achievement, which I know you pointed pointed to last time, um, <laughs> was, yeah, it's just having sort of a, a beat the developer, play the developer achievement, which can work well in certain games and just you know, through time and development and design and, and actually research, we decided not to implement them. Ah, you see, you could add it in maybe the possible maybe patch that could come out, even if it's worth zero. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd welcome that. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of you would. <laughs> so, are there any tips for the game you can show of our listeners? I think the main tip is really to just to concentrate on their position and their their speed. I mean. It's not just about hitting the ball. It is really about getting that position down and really sort of uh, pressing the button at the right time. And once you get that sorted, and you you see in yourself, you can predict the, the the line of the ball. You can really move to that position, get it sorted. Obviously, if you're playing doubles, communication is vital. And try not to press base, the the shots buttons too early, because otherwise you'll just dive. I think that's about it. Yeah, it's just practice 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 really i mean the more you play it the better you'll get and it is really a sort of a skills kind of game and i suppose anyone who's come from topspin topspin was a lot more forgiving you could press the button earlier and it would more position you and you get a really tight angle but for virtual tennis you really have to be very precise don't you well yeah there is that but i think that gives virtual tennis you know the, the feel and gameplay that that's always come through throughout the years really you certainly have to think a lot harder where you really have to guess about what the opponent where he's going to aim the ball. Yeah. So it's more crucial to learn how he reacts to certain situations. Yeah. I think the the, the key sort of uh, tennis academy and mini games which really concentrate on your serve 
uh, and the way you serve is something. Now, if you like, if you play it on Xbox, how you control the angle of the ball and things like that is quite important because you'll be able to pull tricks. You know, a serve straight down the middle is something that a lot of people never really expect. Or whenever you get a serve uh, and you return it, instead of returning it directly at them, you return it in a straight line uh, onto their side. A lot that catches off a lot of people. Now, obviously, you know, you can do the whole thing of pushing the ball further and further on e on either side and then really sort of making them stumble and then you've got your clear shot. Uh, so I think that there are a lot of sort of techniques and tactics that you can employ. The question is is, what, is how good of a player you are and how which play you use and what kind of you know frantic gameplay and, uh, you want to have really. Now here's a question that comes up quite a lot from people I've been talking to. How do you mm -hmm. do the underarm serve? The little cheeky one that throws <laughs> people off completely. <laughs> yes, I, I, I tend to have a well, I tend to do that one quite a bit, actually. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. well, it's just a question of practice. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not giving away this little trade I'm, secret. I'm, I'm, uh, it's basically my only ability to, to, to score, so I'm not going to give that one away. <laughs> <laughs> and the last one for Nintendo fans, is there ever going to be a Nintendo Wii version? Well, we'd like to see one, obviously. I mean, the, the, the Wii is a great little platform. And, you know, Virtual Tennis seems to be a, a fitting title for it. So, yeah, we'd definitely be in favor whether or not it's going to come through. Um, I think it's more up to Sega. Obviously, you know, the more fans demanding it and pushing, putting pressure on Sega would be excellent. But who knows? You know, it's, it's up to Sega, really. We'd love to see one, but, yeah, we can only wish as you guys do. So, any final comments for our listeners? Um, well, I think you know what I'd like to see is more as many people can uh, taking the game online, challenging each other, you know, using all the features of the game from clicking on gamer tags and seeing the last ten minutes of a game, or inviting players to to participate, uh, doing all the achievements, getting in first, you know, it's just employing all all the elements of the game that we spent so much time and effort getting so nicely done on on Xbox that we'd like to see more and more people really enjoy it and. Spread the word, really, and just you know, buy a second controller so that your your sister or your friend or you know your brother can play it and and join you in the fun, really. And obviously, you know, we hope you enjoy it. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time, Toby. It's been an absolute pleasure. Well, the pleasure's all mine, James. Thank you very much. Hi, this is James Woodcock, and I'm with Max Freert from Compete Blog. Welcome again to the show. Thanks for having me, James. So you've got a couple of posts we're going to talk about. The first one titled Xbox 360, Halo 3 and Gears of War, Violence Breeds Killer Apps. So what do you find out in this latest statistical data? So for this post, we actually looked at people that were, that were shopping for the Xbox 360 and also shopped for one of those two games. Um, we also looked at Crackdown, which isn't in the blog, but those were, we basically looked at the overlap between those shoppers. And what we found was that while uh, a lot of people were shopping for both the Xbox 360 and Gears of War, ironically, Halo 3, which is going to be out in essentially nine months now, uh, was garnishing quite a bit more overlap than, the, uh, than Gears of War. Yeah, I'm looking at the percentages now, and uh, if we take uh, January 07 as the most recent example, Gears of War has 4%, where Halo 3 has a massive, in comparison, 14%. It's really significant because it sort of shows why people are shopping for the 360. Like, they're actually looking at the game and then going to view the console. 
So it really does show what everyone really believes, that Halo is such a massive brand, isn't it? Exactly. Halo 3 said it's not out yet. In fact, it's going to be quite a while, but we have got the Halo 3 beta. Do you think that's also helped in a large way of combating maybe the PS3 hype a bit? So I think one thing that's, uh, that's really interesting about the way Microsoft approached this entire uh, PS3 and we launched is that they basically plugged Halo 3 through this entire period. <laughs> like if you went to any sort of retailer, um, you know, you, they basically were announcing on the front page that Halo 3 uh, or advertising for the Halo 3 beta. And I think that definitely had a huge impact on you know, people considering the 360 over the PS3 because those games were, there were games that were already out, were great games that were in the lineup already, and, you know, if someone was considering one or the other, they'd probably lean towards the 360. Has this got any sort of negative side for Gears of War, though? Or is it just the fact that Halo is such a massive title? It's got Halo 1 and Halo 2 already before it, so it's got some fans, massive fans already. Um, I, I don't think it did. Um, in a lot of cases, the way uh, things were organized, you could actually see Gears of War and Halo 3 on the same page. Um, so in that case, it really didn't, uh, you know, they're sort of complementary as opposed to, uh, you know, cannibalistic. And also we saw a lot of people shopping both of those games as well. So there's a really high overlap between people shopping Gears of War and Halo 3, uh, you know, within the same month. So that sort of indicates that it's the same demographic that's looking at both games, and they're probably willing to purchase both. Would you also be concerned then if the Halo 3 beta that's going to be released in not so far away now, we hope, if that isn't as good as we all hope it is, could that really turn into a really bad negative that there is so much attention on this one title that isn't even released yet and we have still very little information about it? There's probably there's two sides to that. The, the first is that you know, it'll discourage gamers if it's not uh, very good. From the screenshots I've seen, it looks pretty amazing. Um, but at the same time, it also gives Microsoft the ability to you know, work with this core group of hardcore fans that basically bought Crackdown to play Halo 3 and you know, work with these gamers and sort of improve the game over the next nine months so that when they actually do release it, it you know, incorporates a great array of positive features that if they didn't have this beta test going on at a, at a, on a large, a large scale, they wouldn't be able to get at. So you also mentioned that you looked at Crackdown, but it isn't on the graph. Was it because it was quite insignificant compared to the other two? The interesting trend with Crackdown was... Uh, I. You probably know that the, crack, the uh, Halo 3 beta was sort of announced that it was going to be released in Crackdown at the end of December. And what we saw was a, a spike of about, you know, 1,000, 2,000 people looking at this game. And all of a sudden it just shoots up as soon as people realize that Halo, the Halo 3 beta invite was going to be included with Crackdown. So I didn't include it because it wasn't really popular over the holiday season, I guess. So I guess all remains on this particular post you've made. Are you going to be getting Halo 3 when it's released? Absolutely. In fact, I have Crackdown right now, and I'm waiting for the uh, the beta. Right then. Well, <laughs> we'll move on then, because uh, you're obviously eager for Halo 3, so that's all good. Right then, you've got your second post, Xbox 360 versus Wii versus PS3, demand doesn't lie. So what do we learn in this post? So basically what we're, uh, what we're seeing is, uh, it's sort of the same thing over again, I guess. So basically the Wii had a really great uh, season in terms of demand. Um, obviously, they're still working out supply issues in the States, and I'm, I'm sure elsewhere. Um, the PS3, basically, uh, you know, it, it had a ton of interest to launch, but then it fell uh, sharply. And, and in fact, um, in January, it seems like that's the leveling off period for, you know, all the consoles after the holiday season. But yet the PS3 actually drops from January to February, which is another sort of concerning uh, trend for those guys. And, you know, 
the Xbox 360 basically stabilized at its uh, pre-holiday uh, level. And this is monitoring American sites, is that correct? Yes, it is. It, I should specify that. It's, it's all American. Right, so they'll have very little interest, for example, in the European launch. Right. So the Xbox 360 you mentioned is uh, on a very sort of stable trend. It has little peaks and troughs. But uh, compared to the PS3, is it actually doing better as a sort of stable line? Yeah, so it's, it's been much more stable um, you know, over the course of the year. And uh, if you look at the two launch patterns between the two consoles, they actually are somewhat similar, but uh, Xbox 360 had quite a uh, demand problem, at least in the States, uh, even up till April. So you know, it seems like they definitely ironed that out for this year, but uh, the PS3 has sort of uh, mimicked that trend in terms of you know, low demand, I mean low supply, and then... Uh, you know, extremely high demand and then sort of tapers off almost immediately. So is this back to the old factor again of cost and people comparing the consoles of which is going to best suit them? So I think that's true with the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Um, they're not uh, identical, but they share some of the same traits, whereas the Wii is just a completely uh, separate beast. And, you know, the gameplay is different. It's not as powerful. It's... Uh, it, it, it appeals to a totally different demographic, and the cost is much different. So when you, when you see the demand that's basically twice the level of the Xbox 360, it's good to take into consideration, A, that the supply issue isn't worked out yet, and B, it's appealing to this demographic that might not be interested in a 360 or, or a PS3 at all. Could it also be because we love the underdog? I think so. I think that could be part of it. But it's definitely, I think the price, uh, the price factor plays in huge there. Because also Sony and Microsoft are relatively new to the gaming scheme and uh, Nintendo have been there for a very long time and with them battling the big boys still with their much more moderate system as far as power goes and price, it is very much a thing that Nintendo are going to work on, isn't it? And sort of say, hey, come on, look at us what we're doing. We're doing something completely different. And do you think that's really appealing? Absolutely. I mean, the way they've sort of focused their model is on... uh, games that focus more on the gameplay and the theme rather than, you know, the technological aspects and the, uh, you know, the graphics and all that. Um, but that's not to say that Xbox 360 and PS3 don't have games that, are, that will have great gameplay, but just looking at the graphics for things like, uh, you know, WarioWare, they've really focused on using the controller and sort of engaging in the environment as opposed to, you know, sitting there and uh, working through the game that way. Yes, I don't think we'll be able to see a game like Gears of War with WarioWare-type graphics. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I'd be playing that one. <laughs> I suppose when you buy something like an Xbox 360 or indeed the PS3, you're looking for the total experience, aren't you? Graphics, audio, and the gameplay factor, and of course now, more so in this generation, the online factor. Definitely. I think online, especially for the Xbox 360, is huge. Um, a couple people, that, even that I work with, have uh, you know they, they were stuck with the traditional Xbox, and as their friends move to a different console, the fact that you can basically play across the country, across the world with different people. It's, you know, it's a very strong um, message, and Sony, or Xbox 360 was able to put that out way before the other two consoles, and that puts them in a distinctly uh, higher competitive advantage. Also, which may work very strongly in Microsoft's and, of course, the Xbox 360's favor, is that Windows Vista has been purportedly doing extremely well, even though it's had quite a bit of criticism as well. And... Of course, we've got Live for Windows on the horizon for the PC coming out in May. 
And of course, that's basically Xbox Live for the PC. So having those two systems integrated for the PC and the Xbox 360, do you think that will make a big change in demand and trend as well? I don't know if we'll see a huge demand, uh, a change in demand. What you might see is, is sustained demand and, you know, obviously growth in terms of share of uh, console owners. So basically, you'll see Xbox 360 gaining significantly on the PS3, which obviously it already is now, but even to a higher degree in the future. Um, I think the syncing issue is, is definitely huge. So if you look at the fact that the, uh, the Xbox hypothetically can sync with your computer, with your Zoom player, um, you know, any sort of Microsoft component, it's going to make things a lot easier to use the Xbox 360 as more of a media center rather than just a gaming system. And do you think the new announcement of the Xbox 360 Elite, which comes in matte black and with a 120 gigabytes hard drive and that very controversial HDMI, so do you think that's going to make any difference at all? I will see it in March. My guess is that you'll see a lot of interest, but you you also won't. Um, it probably won't end up converting anybody uh, or converting a significant portion of uh, existing users until the holiday season, which is where you know all the consoles get a big push in sales and demand. Do you think it's another dint at Sony, though, that they've got HDMI and a much larger capacity, in fact, twice the capacity of their 60-gig option? It's actually funny. I believe uh, someone at Sony made a quote uh, that you know, this is sort of validating their business model. And I think it's, it's true to an extent, but not within the, uh, the context of the, of the gaming platforms because you know, this is sort of a separate option on top of the, uh, the core or the premium system. So it's like they're giving you a wide range of options and letting gamers choose. Um, as opposed to like bundling everything in one system and then uh, you know, forcing that upon the consumer to sort of get Blu-ray adoption. Ah, back to good old Blu-ray. And of course, Microsoft <laughs> haven't, although, although it was rumored, uh, HD DVD has not been included with the 360 Elite, nor is there one that's going to be in a matte black as well in the future, from what I hear. So uh, that, that's, that's unfortunate. You can't have your, your gaming system matching your, uh, your HD DVD player. <laughs> I suppose they're going to be wanting people to use the video marketplace instead because on-demand is where Microsoft are really looking to the future, aren't they? That's actually an excellent point. I actually made it in that, that second post. Um, I wrote this sort of schizophrenic skit uh, between the, uh, the three consoles. And uh, so one thing that is sort of, uh, we're, we're sort of predicting is that you know, downloadable movies are going to sort of take the place of uh, high-storage uh, disk capacity optical drives in the future. And that personally horrifies me because I just think of DRM, otherwise known as digital rights management, right. and all the fuss that causes with just music. Right. So that's probably going to be, you know, at least initially the case with uh, with the actual consoles. So that's unfortunate, or at least with Microsoft. So we've got now, well, at least in April, we'll have three SKUs of the Xbox 360, the Core, the Premium, and the now the Black Elite. But I think even Microsoft understand it's the Premium that the vast majority of people are going to go for, isn't it? Right. Well, you know, it's it's sort of the the best of both worlds. You, you, I don't know why you would get an Xbox without storage at this point. It seems natural that you that you you want the tw- at least the 20 gig hard drive. Um, I think it's you'll probably uh, you know the 120 gig in the Elite. I think more focused on you know the on-demand videos and and things like that. So you'll see people that are, that want to get that sort of functionality uh, focused more towards the high end. But I think the I just think the core uh, console will probably keep losing interest. 
And I suppose another good thing that could happen for the Xbox 360 is we're nearly due for another major dashboard update, which uh, normally is the big one where we get a lot of extra features added. So could that actually make a change or are any current Xbox 360 owners interested in that sort of thing? It could. So in, um, if you look back historically, in, in uh, you know, back to 06, you know, back around when they were doing all the video game announcements, demand really doesn't change that much throughout the year. Um, with now that there's three consoles in the market, that, that can certainly, uh, I think it's going to add a, a level of interest to that. But, um, you know, the, annou- this, the announcements where, you know, you see a little bit of hardware or hardware updates and, and software updates, um, or even if it does vastly improve the interface, the people that are really interested in that are the people that already own the consoles, and it's not really something that's going to drive a ton more people to, to purchase. Going back to Sony's side, do you think people are actually struggling with the sort of moral issue of, do we really want Blu-ray? Is it actually making an impact for games, or is it just a cynical way of trying to get us to use their movie format? Yeah, I mean, I think you probably have people uh, going both ways. Um, I know if I was going to buy a Blu-ray player, it just obviously makes sense to get a PS3. So there's, they, they might be driving you know, interest in, the, in gameplay through people that are looking at, at Blu-ray players. Unfortunately, I don't think that's a huge demographic at this point. Um, on the other side of things, um, you know, people are certainly buying the PS3 for the Blu-ray. It's not a huge percentage of people. In fact, we did a survey back in November where you know, nobody was really that interested in it, that we surveyed anyway. I'm not a huge fan of the strategy, but I can see where they were coming from. Um, Obviously, consumers have spoken, though, and they like the Wii and the Xbox 360 quite a bit more. Which is a roaring start, really, isn't it, for Sony was gambling so much on this one system. Absolutely, and so that's the other thing. They have, you know, they're losing money on these consoles, and they need to sell games. And it seems like that's not really, you know, they've lost most of their exclusive titles, um, or their really big exclusive titles. And, you know, there's not a huge reason to buy one at this point. I suppose as a consumer, you're also looking at it as either an expensive gaming machine or a cheap Blu-ray player. It's very right. hard to put the two together and say, yes, I'm getting it for Blu-ray and gaming. Exactly. If you had to gamble then, Max, which one would you say? As a gambling man, I don't know if you're <laughs> a gambling man. Are you a gambling man, Max? Uh, sort of, not from time to time. So, as a dabbler then... <laughs> As a dabbler, if you had to put your money on one of the consoles being an alright, all well, good on success in the gaming market, which one would it be? As of now, I would say the 360, but the Wii is, is, uh, is, is making its mark. Well, thank you very much for your time, Max, and I'm sure we'll have you on again. Great, thanks a lot, James.